0: Well, thank you, Dustin and worship team. Once again, good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome to Calvary. Congratulations for making it on time and remembering that we changed the time. So uh, maybe you remembered or maybe you just got here early and thought, I just came early for coffee and donuts and the service is going on. (laughs) However it happened, we're just glad that you're here. Um, And uh, it's good to see everyone. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, hopefully when you came in, you grabbed a bulletin because the bulletin has the title of the sermon, the text, and also my main points for the sermon, helping you to follow along and to stay oriented. No one wants to feel lost or have uh, have a sense that they're not tracking and it's important to me that you uh, follow what's being taught and can see in God's word where it's coming from. So ideally, you have a Bible, you keep it open, you have those notes, you're taking notes perhaps, because today we're going to be looking at spiritual discipline for steady growth. Spiritual discipline for steady growth. And I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, so if you have a copy of God's Word, follow along as I read. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of your Spirit. And God, we confess our mighty need for you. I feel it, Lord, as I preach. I need your Holy Spirit to give unction, power, to what your word says. And to apply it to our lives and to bring it into the nooks and crannies of our heart and mind so that the light of Christ shines in all the places of our lives. And God, we need it. We need to apply these things this week To be the Christians you're calling us to be. To live in the joy that you've prepared for us in Christ. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Whatever we're going through, Father, you intend for us to follow Jesus joyfully. And Lord, we confess that often eludes us. So God, help us to learn. Help us to understand. Help us to apply. Help us to sit at your feet and learn from you, to be gentle, to be humble. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're one week into the new year, and it's popular for people in a new year to have goals, and we call those goals, the dreaded R word, resolutions. And if you have them, good. And if you don't, that's okay too. One week into the new year, and you may have already failed and said, forget it. That's just not going to happen. I'll try again next year. Or maybe you're going strong, and if so, good for you. Usually, goals or resolutions have to do with the body. I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to walk more. I'm going to stay hydrated, stuff like that. Rest better less sugar, that sort of thing. And those are good goals for the body, concern the body, health, and that's all good. But you're not just a body, you're a soul. The soul is the immaterial you. It's sometimes called the mind, not the brain, that's the thing you can see, but the mind, the part of you that can't be poked or prodded, can't be photographed or scanned. It's the part of you that wills and desires and directs the physical part of you, the soul. The soul is the life force of the body. It makes it living and when the soul departs the body, we say that the person is dead. You're a body and a soul. And look, that's something you should believe because the Bible teaches it. God made man in His image, Adam and Eve in his image, breathed his life into them. You're not just a body, you're a soul. But people that don't believe the Bible, aren't Christians, have understood that there's a part of you that's immaterial. It's called the soul. Plato, who is no Christian, believed this. Matter of fact, the majority of people on planet Earth believe that they have something about them that's immaterial, invisible, intensely private. The soul. The soul. You're a body and a soul. So what are your goals for the health of your soul? Have you ever even thought of that? The soul? How is my soul? You know, there's that old hymn, It is well with my soul. Well, I wonder how it is with your soul this morning. Are you growing in your soul? That's hard to even ask because your soul can't be weighed and measured. You can't look at your soul in the mirror, but it's important. It's the part of you that will never die. Now in our passage today, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying that physical discipline is good. Look at verse 8. Physical discipline is good. Bodily training, Paul says, is of some Value. I've got two teenage boys that like to go to the gym, and I will often, as they head off to the gym, remind them, bodily discipline is of some value. Now, you are keen observers of the text, and you might be interested in why Paul would say it is of some value. Paul's contrasting it. That word some is elsewhere in the Bible translated as few or little in Matthew seventeen fourteen, and when Matthew seven fourteen, when when Jesus says that the road that leads to destruction is broad and many find it, and then he says the road that leads to eternal life is narrow and few find it. Same word that Paul is using. Bodily discipline is of little value. Well, what could have more value, limited value, physical exercise. Paul's saying there's nothing wrong with bodily training, nothing wrong with goals for the body. I'm not here to discourage you in any of your New Year's resolutions regarding sleep or hydration or working out or anything like that, but I'm here to draw your attention to something important. Paul says there is something of more value than bodily training. Paul says training for the soul is of greater value. He calls this godliness. Look at verse 8 again. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness, by contrast, is of value in every way. Or your translation might say it is value in everything. Godliness has value for everything. Now let me ask you a question. What should you put more time into? Something that has little value or something that has value for everything? I mean, if you didn't know anything about Christianity and I were to say to you, tell me, do you think it's better to put your time and effort and energy into something with little value or something with value for everything? I think that just a rational, thoughtful person would say, well, gee, it probably makes sense to put a greater amount of time and energy into something that has unlimited value. So Paul is trying to get us to keep bodily training in perspective. It is of value, but it is of limited value. Well, why? Well, one of the reasons is that you only have your body for a short time. Maybe you feel that going into a new year. You feel the years rolling on but your soul you will have forever. If you had a pie chart, we're all back to work this week, or many of us are back to the graphs and back to the charts. I was thinking about a pie chart. If you had a pie chart of where most people put their time and attention, it would probably be this massive, round, solid block of color pointing to their attention to their body. And maybe a small sliver of attention to their soul but Paul is saying it should be the opposite the majority of your time and attention should be focused on that which has greater value bodily discipline is important but caring for your soul discipline for your soul goals for your soul is way way more important and should get probably more time and attention than it's getting. How about you? What would the pie chart of your life look like? How much attention are you paying to godliness, spiritual discipline, your soul? Well, I want to encourage you this morning to care for your soul and to tell you that God cares about your soul. And I want us to look this morning at training for godliness, as Paul says, And so in order to do that, I think we need to understand three things. Number one, the value of godliness. Number two, the path to godliness. And number three, the enemy of godliness. The value of godliness, the path to godliness, and number three, the enemy of godliness. So first, the value of godliness. Paul says godliness is of great value. Godliness is of value for everything. Paul says in verse 8 that godliness or soul health has great value because it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. Now let's just pause there and appreciate what God is saying. This present life will end, but there is a life to come. People want to know oftentimes what happens when I die. And the Bible makes it very clear. We don't know everything, but we do know this. The Bible says that there is, when the, this life ends, an immediate entrance into the eternal life for believers. Eternal life in which our soul will be given, ultimately, eventually, eternal bodies when our bodies are resurrected and made perfect just like Jesus's body was. Without death, without suffering your body will die and then be resurrected but your soul will go immediately at your death into the presence of God and if you're a Christian into eternal life Paul says elsewhere to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord so the moment your heart stops you will go immediately into the presence of King Jesus Remember, Jesus says to the robber on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, how can that be? The robber's body went into a grave somewhere. Yes, but his soul went into the immediate presence of God. So Paul's reminding us there's a life to come, eternal life. This life is not all there is, it's not even that long. So Paul's saying, don't put all your eggs in this basket. It's ending. Bank on the life to come. Focus on your soul, which will transition into eternity the moment your body stops ceasing. So the value of your soul relates to the duration of your soul. This life is short. And eternity is incomprehensibly long. Have you ever done that sort of mental thought experiment where you try to think what eternity is like, just conceptually the idea of never-ending time in the presence of God? You can't grasp it because we have no experience of it. But we will experience it the moment we die and our soul goes into the presence of God, there is more value to caring for your soul because your soul will go on forever. The body you look at in the mirror, however you feel about that body, will die, but your soul will endure. And also, another reason that Paul says the body is of bodily discipline is of limited value, but training in godliness is of greater value, is because God cares more about the inner you than the outer you. 1 Samuel 16, 7, write this down, says, Man looks on outer appearances, but God looks upon the heart. God cares about your body. After all, he gave you a body. The idea of bodies is God's idea. He cares for you. He loves all of you, body and soul. He provides you with food and a house to live in and the nice clothes that you're wearing. It's not that your body's not important. It's just that we live in a society that is obsessed with the body but God is looking on your heart the inner you the part of you that can't be seen the soul God cares about the soul listen to 2 Corinthians 4:16 through 18 2 Corinthians 4:16 through 18 says this though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light And momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So Paul is saying, this life is wasting away. My body is wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed. Inwardly, your soul, your mind, the inner man. God looks on that. So what does that mean? What does that mean? How do you even think about the health of your soul? Well, think about your character. Think about your desires. Think about your will. Think about your heart. Think about your soul. It matters more than your BMI or your waist size. We're sinful, and we live in a world filled with other sinful people, and we obsess about these things, but the Bible tells us that the holy God cares way more about how you look on the inside. The Bible tells us that true beauty lies within. Beauty is deceitful, but character endures. So there is value in godliness that outlasts the body and matters more to God. So that's the value of godliness. And it's important this morning, you might have lost sight of that. You might be thinking more about The physical you than the inner you, and God is saying, no, let that shift care more about what I care about, God says, than what everybody else cares about. That's the value of godliness. Number two, what's the path to godliness? What's the path to godliness? How do we get there? Okay, so the pie chart of my attention needs to shift. I need to care more about my soul, my character, my desires, my will, my heart, my inner man than my outer man. How do I get there? Well, the word is discipline. Discipline. Paul says, because having your soul and your mind right is more profitable and more valuable than just being physically fit, notice what he says in verse 7 train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. The word train there is the word gymnazo, which obviously, you know, is the word we get our word gymnasium from. And so, Paul is saying, take your soul to the gym. Get your soul in shape. Discipline yourself, your inner man, for godliness. Now, the point here is that godliness involves work. It involves effort. It involves discipline. It's like staying physically fit or getting physically fit. If if you if you know anything about you know working out, it it doesn't happen overnight. It it takes work. We wish it did happen overnight, and we're always looking for shortcuts. But it takes time and consistency, which is why the title of my sermon is "Spiritual Discipline for Steady Growth." That's what we want to see as Christians: steady growth. If, if, if someone were to come to you and say, I'm done with the gym, it's just not working. And you say, well, how long have you been walking or hiking or playing tennis or whatever physical activity is? How long have you been doing that? And they said, I've been doing it for three whole days. <laughs> You'd probably say, listen, results don't come overnight. But becoming godly, becoming patient, forgiving, becoming kind, letting the old you die, and letting the new you come to life takes time. I mean, Jesus calls us to put other people first. You don't walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and voila, you put everybody else first. It takes time. So what you should see is not immediate growth, but consistent growth. Salvation in the Bible, is referred to as, in John 3, being born again. You remember that. In in John 3, Nicodemus says, what do I got to do to enter into the kingdom? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And so Jesus likens your spiritual life to your physical life. There was a time when you didn't physically exist, and you came into existence when you were conceived. Spiritually, there was a time when you were dead and you came alive the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when someone's born, you don't expect them to act like an adult. We don't go into the nursery and say, okay, two year olds, turn to Romans chapter 8 and read along with me. And in the same way, when someone becomes a new believer, we don't automatically expect them to act like a mature believer. If a two year old gets a toy taken away, we expect them to throw a tantrum and cry. If a 50-year-old gets something taken away, we expect maturity. We expect perspective. We expect empathy. We expect resilience of a 50-year-old, but not of a 2-year-old. So the process of becoming like Christ over the course of your life is like the process of normal physical intellectual developments. That process of becoming like Jesus is called sanctification. Now you might not know this word, so you can write it down, sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. You see, being saved, being justified, isn't something that we accomplish by our work. Being saved is accomplished by the work of Jesus. Jesus did it, the Spirit brings it to us and we believe and we are saved. We are saved by faith alone and not by works. Let me say that again so no one leaves with the wrong impression. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. But once we are saved, we begin the process of maturity. Just like once we are born, we begin a process of maturity. And that process is called sanctification and in sanctification the Holy Spirit which comes to live in you the moment you believe the Holy Spirit brings power into your life so that you can become the kind of person you never were before you can obey what you never wanted to before you can treat others in a way you never would have before so it is the work of God through the power of the Spirit shaping us to be more like Jesus. But that process involves us as new creatures, as new believers, through the power of the Spirit, working out our salvation in obedience. Write down Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12, Paul says, work out your salvation. It's like a body. You don't work out to get a body. You work out because you have a body. You don't work out your salvation to get salvation. You work out salvation in sanctification because you have already been saved. Paul says, discipline yourself for godliness. Paul is talking about doing something. Discipline yourself. So we sometimes call these things spiritual disciplines. These are things the Bible tells us to do And the Bible tells us to do these things because when we do them, God meets with us. God grows us. God's power is at work in us. Well, things like reading the Bible every day. Things like praying every day. Things like fasting when you have a challenge or a struggle and you you need to feel physically weak to sort of reflect your spiritual need. Evangelism, sharing our faith, with others. These are things that we do, and when we do them, God meets with us. He empowers us. He grows us. God's at work in our lives in a special way when we follow his word by disciplining ourselves for godliness. So here's the problem. I have this problem, and you have this problem. The problem is that we often confuse principles With practice. A principle is something you believe. A practice is something you do. You can have principles about the importance of Bible reading and evangelism and prayer. But if you don't read the Bible and you don't pray and you don't share your faith, you don't receive any value from just intellectually believing in these things in regards to your sanctification. I can believe that water is good for me. I can believe that sleep is good for me. I can believe that staying away from too much sugar is good for me. I can have those principles. But if my practice is, I don't get any sleep. If my practice is, I don't drink any water. If my practice is, I never work out. Then the principles have no value for my life. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is disciplining themselves for godliness. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. When you leave on the wall, it it says that from Matthew 28. And you cannot be a disciple without a desire and effort for discipline. A disciple is someone who wants to be disciplined. And we all fail every day. And we all go through seasons of dryness and wandering but the heartbeat of a disciple is that they want to be more like Jesus. They want to grow. They want to be disciplined. Notice Paul says, train yourself. Train yourself. That's singular. That's important. Spiritual discipline, like physical discipline, isn't something someone else can do for you. You you can go to the gym and hire a trainer, but your trainer can't work out for you. If only they could. If only they could, I would. You can have a pastor. You can have a Bible study teacher. You can have a spiritual mentor. You can have a parent who loves you, a grandparent who brings you to church, but no one can believe for you. No no one can discipline themselves for godliness for you. No one can read the Bible for you. No one can pray for you in the sense that we are called to pray. This is why Paul says, discipline yourself for godliness. We do it together. We encourage each other in it. But Paul says, this is one of those things you have got to put your attention towards. God says there's value in these practices if you do them, if you practice it. So one of the reasons that we as a church come into community in in a covenant relationship, in membership, is to remind each other regularly to discipline ourselves for godliness. And so parents need to remind children, discipline yourself for godliness. Spouses need to encourage each other, discipline yourself for godliness, One of the things that we need to value as a church, if somebody were to come in and say, hey, tell me about your church, one of the things we would want to say is, we believe in disciplining ourselves for godliness. The value of godliness, the path to godliness, discipline. Number three, the enemy of godliness. Godliness has lots of enemies. Martin Luther used to talk about the, the self, the world, the devil. Godliness has many enemies. Let me just outline a few. You can jot these down. One is impatience. Impatience. Let me encourage you. Sanctification, one person has called it a slow motion miracle. Do I believe in miracles? Yes, but I don't believe in the kind that television preachers show you, you know, they're frauds and they want money. But I believe in miracles. Salvation is a miracle. And sanctification is a miracle. It's something that God is doing in you over the course of your life. And and kind of like the stock market, there are peaks and valleys. There are times when you feel like you are in a season of accelerated sanctification. And then there are times when you feel like you're coasting on past victories. And you need patience. And let me just say in particular, you need patience with each other. I am not how I want to be, you are not how you want to be, and if we remind ourselves that God is patient with us and we need to be patient with others, what we can do is we can put our effort into disciplining ourselves for godliness. Number two, there are no shortcuts. It takes patience and it takes effort and oftentimes you have to go through things, through things like suffering or hardship or loss or disappointment. The process of sanctification is kind of like a long journey, a long drive. Sure, there's those parts of the drive where it's just beautiful. But then there's those arid parts, those rocky parts, those, those desert places. And so there is no way from here to there without going through hardships. But this is so helpful. When we understand that God wants our discipline, He wants our Christ like this, you can understand that when you are being stretched, when you are going through times of suffering, God is working you out, so to speak. He's got you in the gym to shape your soul to be more like Jesus. Of course, one of the great enemies of spiritual discipline is the battle for the mind. Look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. I wear glasses, I know some of you wear glasses, and I don't know about you, but every morning I try, I try to remember to do this, and I'm always embarrassed when I forget. But I have a particular cloth in my drawer in the kitchen that I take off my glasses and I pull out the cloth and I clean the glasses because if I don't, my glasses get all smudgy and apart from just being sort of gross, I can't see. I have to remove the film, the smudge, so that I can see. Paul is saying spiritual discipline is removing what is false, removing lies, removing myths, so that you can see reality clearly. You can distinguish true from false. You can sort of spiritually call balls and strikes. Paul is saying that we have to recognize when something is good or bad, true or false, right or wrong, the devil wants to sow confusion and sanctification requires clarity. So why is reading the Bible every day so important? Because it gives you clarity. Why is praying every day so important? It gives you clarity. And so Paul says, listen, there are enemies, and one of the enemies is in your mind, and so you need to apply truth to your thinking. This is why if you read the Psalms, it's really interesting. The psalmist often speaks to himself. It's as if he pulls out his soul and says, rejoice, O my soul, or he'll say, why are you downcast, O my soul? And if you were to come around David when he's writing those, you'd go, David, who are you talking to? And he'd say, I'm talking to my soul. And so spiritual discipline, if you will, is a matter of speaking to yourself more and listening to yourself less preaching the truth to yourself. Look, I get to preach to you for like 35 minutes a week, but you get to preach to yourself every day. So when you feel like, man, I don't have the money or the house or the car I want, I'm worthless. You got to say, my worth isn't in my possessions. My worth is in Christ. Christ is my treasure. I don't have anything good in my life. Are you kidding me? God's given me this amazing spouse and these children or this life, this opportunity. God has been so good to us. And all you're doing is you're taking out your soul and you're giving your soul a talking to. Turn from myths, be patient, endure suffering. Spiritual discipline, no shortcuts. So let me close where I began just by reminding you that God cares about your soul God cares about the invisible you, the real you, the heart, the mind, the inner man, the soul, and God wants intimate fellowship with you. He wants your time. He wants your attention. He deserves it. The Bible even says he's jealous for it. Now, we're sinning when we're jealous because there's always something better than us that people could pay attention to, but there's nothing greater than God in the universe, so God is jealous for our affections and he gets that when we focus on him in the spiritual disciplines those simple things that maybe maybe you're keeping up with or maybe you've neglected being in the word being in prayer fasting evangelism those things you value and those things you do to grow spiritually and look the cool thing about this is it's not just like god gets glory when we do this The really cool thing about this is what you get out of it is joy. I promise you this. When you commit yourselves to the spiritual disciplines, you will get joy. And this is what our... I know my spouse needs me to discipline myself for godliness. And I need her to discipline herself for godliness. And my kids need us to discipline ourselves for godliness. And you know what your neighbors need? Your neighbors need to see in a world of confusion and filth and sin, they need to see what it looks like for someone to not only believe in Jesus, but to discipline themselves for godliness so they can be more like him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, our sinless, righteous Savior, who is victorious over sin and death, who bore our sin, who took your wrath, who died as a perfect sinless sacrifice for us, and then three days later, just like he promised, came victoriously out of the grave, and now reigns in heaven, and will come back for us. In the meantime, in the meantime, God, however long we have, and we don't know, I pray, God, that we would put our shoulder to the task of discipline, of godliness. Lord, help us to train ourselves for godliness. Help us to give attention to those things which you highlight in your word over and over again. Lord, Satan wants to make us think that following Jesus is just too complicated. We've failed too many times. And yet, God, you stand ready to forgive us. You stand ready to cleanse us, and you stand ready to give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, an opportunity to be free from things that have us shackled or weighed down. So God, I pray that you would do your work in us today, that we would leave resolved not only to have principles, but to have practices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.